name is Dr. Katherine Kiefer Newman, and this is my podcast, Lost in the Rabbit Hole, The Dark Side of Folktales. I have a doctorate in mythological studies and a master of fine arts and creative writing, but long before any of that, I've loved folktales. Folktales, fairy tales, myths, legends, urban legends, all things story. And this is a podcast about some of the lesser-known things, the hidden things, the things found deep inside of tales that we, perhaps unknowingly, give over to our children. But these stories, they never let us fully go. They haunt the corners of our dreams, stalk us in our fantasies. We can't shake them loose. And the rabbit hole, it's just an ordinary thing. We pay no mind to it, sitting out there in the corner of the garden, or the middle of a field, or maybe tucked into the roots of a tall tree. We pay no mind to it at all. That is, until we fall in. Join me as I lose myself in this unknown space, this place, this rabbit hole, and rediscover so many of the things left behind. But before we begin, I want to give a warning. I will be talking about the grotesque, foul, horrific things left out of children's versions of folktales. There is violence in these stories and broken societal taboos. If you are at all vulnerable to such information, please turn back. Welcome to Episode 5 of Lost in the Rabbit Hole. In this episode, we're talking about Selkies, the beautiful and often sad seal people. The title of this episode is Her Eyes Held All the Morning of the Darkest Sea. I have links on the podcast page if you're interested in finding out more about this title, which is a line from a poem, or any of the other references that I make throughout the episode. In his 1992 work, Tales of the Seal People, Duncan Williamson tells us that the best stories from Scotland were told to him by the fishermen and the crofting folk of the West Coast, and many of these are of the Selkies. Selkie is just another word for seals, and in these folk tales, Selkies are sometimes called other things like silkies. Usually they're called silkies because their skin is so soft and supple. People, though, when he's out talking about the different tales that he's collected, they'll ask him, where are these seal people? As in, you know, where are they? Because I guess folks want to go see them. (laughs) They ask him, who are they? And they ask him, where did they begin? And he explains that not all seals are silkies. There's a special power that they have, the ones that are silkies. This is the power to take over the form of a human being, to be a human, or to take away a human to become a seal. Children who are born of a human and a seal also have that kind of power to transform. They have the ability to choose sometimes. It depends on the tale. This is where we begin, my friends. We are walking along the west coast of Scotland. We're trekking all around the edges. Or we might find ourselves wandering up and down the coastal regions of northern Norway with the fishermen who are out there for their early morning work. We could 
instead be standing up on the north-facing cliffs of Ireland, feeling the rush of the wind against our faces. Or we could be sitting by a fire on one of the beaches of the Faroe Islands or the Orkney Islands. There are seal people, these selkie stories, from all of these places, but not just these places. They actually reach all around the globe. They've been found in the tales of the Sami people who are travelers of Northern Europe and Asia. They've been found in the tales of the Chinook people and the Greenlander people of North America. Selkie stories, like Swan Maid stories, fall into the broad category of supernatural beings that take the shape and form of a human. For many, but not all of these, the main story seems to feature the animal bride and animal groom motif. They aren't necessarily Grimm's fairy tales like we've covered in this podcast before, uh, but there are variants of these in some of the Grimm's tales, and like the Grimm's tales, Selkie tales are recorded in the Arnie Thompson Motif Index. These are usually listed as tale type ATB650. What this means, animal bride and animal groom motif, is that the Selkie often ends up marrying a person. Sometimes it's a choice that they make. Male Selkie stories can feature the Selkie as a kind of trickster, tricking lonely women into marriage or sometimes just sex. There is usually no harmful intent. They're, they're mischievous, but they're not evil or truly wicked, despite the fact that they are doing a trick. Uh, often in the stories of female Selkies, though, there is a rape or abduction motif built into the story. Now, there are other types of Selkie tales, generally featuring a Selkie tricking a human, often a fisherman, but not always, but someone who has been cruel and violent to the seals. The trick will either change the human's behavior from enemy of the seals to advocate, or the trick will be a punishment for violence and cruelty. The tales focus around the outer animal shape as a skin that can be removed in some variants, it's not so much a skin as a robe or uh, some other piece of clothing. For example, in some of the old Irish versions, it's a cloak. In Gregory Darwin's paper on mermaids, he explains that in some oikotypes, and oikotypes means tales that cross geographical boundaries, he says in some of them, the man is unable to make the woman speak or laugh. The man attempts to make her speak with torture. The woman finds her cloak and escapes to the sea. The woman may sometimes attempt to drown her husband or children. Whatever the case, he tells us, the descendants of this union are marked by their ancestry in some way. For example, they may inherit a taboo against killing seals. These are all transformation tales where the skin comes off and underneath that, Hidden away under this mundane skin of the seal is magically a person, so that when the skin comes off, the inner soul of what seemed to be an ordinary seal is this beautiful human. The human becomes the thing that we see. In colloquial parlance, or the way that we talk when we're just bullshitting, we tend to say that the true self is hidden, like that's where the real person is. Whoever you are on the outside is somehow fake, right? 
But for the Selkies, it seems to be the opposite of that. They have that inner human-like self, but that isn't who they really are. Their true self is the seal, and the inner human is the fantasy or magical being. They can take off their real self and hide by pretending with this magical inner self. And this is clear in the tales where they remove their skin and interact with people like a person. Of course, our scholar Duncan Williamson, uh, returning to him, he points out that these are oral tales rooted in specific regions, and they have to accommodate different details from even one town to the next. So they can change up, right? You can just walk down the street and get a very different version of the same tale. But they're still, even with some fairly extraordinary changes, recognizable by the seal skin coming off to reveal an inner human self. Gregory Darwin tells us that these fantastical stories are found in a huge variety of languages and across a broad geographic range that, as I mentioned before, include Europe, but also the Near East, India, China, and Japan. He says he's found tales in Indonesia and Australia, and of course, I've already mentioned the Americas. He's just talking about the tales linked to bodies of water, too. There are others that are similar enough, but don't have that water connection. In Dave Thompson's The People of the Sea, Celtic Tales of the Sea Folk, there are collected together, he has collected together, many different stories that he found in his travels. He also writes a little bit about the background on some of these stories in the places that he visited. And he found some things that uh, were really kind of interesting. For example, the tales work like origin myths for families who trace their ancestry back through a female family line. So this is their origin stories. They find that they can trace back to being linked to some of these seal people. And so these are not just myths to them. These are not just fantastical tales. This is actually family history. Uh, Duncan Williams and Gregory Darwin found similar things, too. And I found in many of my readings that the people who tell these stories don't necessarily see them as fantasy. So even if they're tongue-in-cheek saying this is their family history— on some level, they believe it, and these are real sacred stories for these folks. The stories can be fantastical, yes, but also true in that the events could have happened. Now, okay, there are some folklorists, and you'll probably see this on the internet if you go looking for Selkie stories, that say that the Selkie myth actually stems from Scottish or even Irish ancient peoples coming into contact with the Finnish, the North American Greenlander or Chinook people, or the Sami travelers. So basically, they they don't find that these are actually mythic stories at all of family heritage or anything else like that. They're just rooted in practical events that happened. The travelers would wear seal skins. They would make their canoes and kayaks out of seal skin, or they would make them out of what they made them out of, which was usually wood, but then put a cover of seal skin over the kayak. The little boats would become waterlogged, and they would slowly submerge until all you would see is the head of the traveler bobbing up and down on the water. Then the traveler would come out of the water. They would be shining and slick in the light, and they would 
shed their sealskin coats, setting it by the fire on the beach to dry out before heading back into the water. I can see how this would lead to wanting to create stories or at least making sense of what one is seeing, but who knows? This also feels an awful lot like a after-the-fact justification. Oh, well, those stories had to come from something practical, right? Not necessarily. And by the way, it can be incredibly practical to trace your family heritage anywhere. So I don't know. I don't think I'm so willing to say that there's nothing magic happening. But you'll have to decide for yourself. I met Selkie stories through my childhood love of mermaids. We lived in Hawaii when I was a little girl, and unlike my classmates, I had long blonde hair and pale skin and gray eyes. I stood out like a sore thumb. I did, though, look a lot like the mermaids that I saw in paintings and picture books. Uh, I also couldn't figure out how to swim in the ocean. I constantly got tumbled and rolled by the waves, and then I'd be washed up on the beach, very embarrassed, very waterlogged. I was convinced it was because I was missing my tail. Okay, I was a little bit of an oddball, especially when I was really young. I was kind of a loner. I read a lot. So, I mean, this made perfect sense to me. Um, But I didn't actually differentiate selkies from mermaids until I was in my teens. And that was when I first heard the tale of the seal wife. I'll come back to this. So, selkies aren't actually mermaids. Well, they're more mermaid adjacent. The mermaids I knew when I was a child, they didn't shapeshift. And in fact, Hans Christian Andersen made it a curse for his famous mermaid, the eponymous Little Mermaid, to get her legs. The cost she paid was her beautiful voice and her family and her joyful life under the sea. This inability to shapeshift seems to be fairly consistent for mermaids and distinguishes them from other water spirits and creatures. That first selkie tale I heard, though, was so haunting that it would be forever the tale I think of when I think of selkie stories. Like Anderson's Little Mermaid, the selkie story I heard was of too much sacrifice, love at too high of a cost, all the longing, and being an outsider. Where it was different from the Anderson version was that the selkie doesn't actually have any choices. I believe that the version I first heard came from Iceland. The Seal Wife Once there was a lonely fisherman who would watch the selkies on the beach every morning as he sailed out in his little boat. They laughed and frolicked in the water, regardless of how cold the weather. They were so happy and beautiful, both in their seal skins and out of them, He couldn't take his eyes off of them. He became filled with longing for the joy that they experienced, and one day, instead of heading out in his little boat, he crept up behind the rocks. These were the rocks that the selkies had laid their skins on to dry in the sun. The fisherman grabbed one of the skins and rubbed it against his face. The need grew inside of him. A young-looking female selkie approached him as he stood there, rubbing the skin back and forth. She put her hand out in a plea to have it returned to her. Instead, though, he took off home with it, and he hid it somewhere in his cottage. She followed, of course, as he knew she would. 
trying to explain that she needed the skin in order to swim and live as a seal in the ocean. This human form, she said, it wasn't her natural form. He looked deep into her soft brown eyes and felt that longing fill up every inch of him. He was so lonely and sad, and here was this beautiful and joyful creature. It seemed like providence to him. That was when he formed an idea. You look pretty natural to me. I want you to stay with me as my wife, and we can have a happy family together. He dangled a key and then tied that key onto a little strap of leather and tucked it into his collar, not giving her a choice. So she stays, and she lives with the fishermen as his wife for years. And as his wife, they have first one, and then two, and then three, and then four children, all boys. Every day while he's at sea, she searches for the skin, but her time is also spent caring for her family, and it could be very, very limited. One morning, though, Before her husband goes out to his little boat, he makes a point of looking into a trunk tucked in with his fishing gear in the corner of their cottage. She's seen this trunk every day for years and realizes that he looks inside it every morning before locking it with that key around his neck. Of course, this is where he's hidden her seal skin. That night, after the children were fed and washed and put to bed, The Selkie offers her husband some mead she's gotten him from the village. He sits in the tiny kitchen as she's washing up, and she plies him with more and more glasses until finally he passes out as if dead. Then she takes the key off his neck and opens the chest. She digs through all the flotsam and jetsam, and there, at the very bottom, wadded up into the back, is a sad hunk of what looks like dried bark. She pulls it out and nearly collapses with emotion. Her seal skin. She recognizes it, but it's so hard and cracked. She worries it will break if she tries to unfold it. Her tears fall onto the skin, and they make a tiny soft spot in all the dried leather. She runs to the water pail and dunks the skin, but this doesn't do anything. Then she remembers a song her grandmother would sing about chewing the pain, chewing the pain, washing the pain, swallowing the pain all down. As a child, she had never known what the song meant. But now, now, the Selkie grabs that old silk skin and shoves it as much as she can into her mouth, and she chews, she chews, and she chews. It loosens in tiny increments, so she chews some more, and she hums the song to herself, holding the skin, rocking back and forth. She's at it for hours, the night getting first darker and then lighter. The skin softens, but it's not close to being soft enough to wear. Just as the sun is about to rise, the Selkie hides her skin back in the trunk and makes an impression of the key in some sealing wax. And then she puts the key back around her husband's neck. She goes about her day as if nothing is different, but does make a visit to the locksmith to have a key of her own made. And she picks up some more mead. Every night after her children are fed and washed, 
and in bed she plies her husband with the mead. When he snores so loud that the sound fills the small cottage, she lifts the key from around his neck, creeps to the trunk, and pulls out her skin and chews and chews and chews. Days pass, and then weeks pass, and then the summer nights come, and they're shorter, which means less time to work on her skin. She celebrates her children's birthdays as they come, one in June, one in August, one in September, one in November. The youngest will soon be going to school with his three brothers, and she worries her skin will never be wearable. But the sea, it has never stopped calling to her, and so she doesn't give up. Finally, 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 after another winter and spring and summer, one morning when her husband is out at sea and all the children are at school now, the selkie pulls her skin out of the trunk and sees that it can be worn again. She holds it against her body and feels the call of the wind, hears the ocean in her head, hears her selkie family calling in those whispers that come to her. But she needs to make dinner for the children and finish her chores around the cottage. (sighs) She does that, knowing that she's leaving this, but also knowing that she never asked for this. She helps the children with their schoolwork and listens to her husband telling stories that couldn't possibly be true. She banks the oven for the night and puts away the last of the washed dishes. The cottage is perfectly set, all things neat and tidy. The floor's cleaned and the fire kindling laid for the next day. Now's the time. She kisses each of her children on their heads and looks one last time around the home that she's lived in for the past ten years. And then, and then she's gone. In the morning, the fisherman knows exactly what has happened. She's made no secret. She left the chest open and had left her key in luck. He weeps for the loss of the woman that he has loved. He tells their children that the storm has taken her, although there was no storm the night before, and they know it. And every year on the anniversary of the day that he forced her to come live with him, he goes to the beach where he first watched the Selkies. They no longer come to this beach, of course, but for the rest of his life, the fisherman spends that whole day year after year, looking out into the distance and thinking of his beloved. And what of the Selkie? Well, she returns often to watch her children grow. Three of her four sons live solid lives, each making her proud by being kind men, never harming those weaker than them. The youngest son is the one who visits the beach and looks every night for his mother. He barely knew her when she left, but he goes. And during the days he comes to the cliffs, he paints pictures of the sea. He does this until one night he never returns to his home. Some say this youngest son of the woman, taken by the ocean, took his own life out of sadness for the loss of his mother. Others, though, they say that he joined her, for he had grown a sealskin of his own after swimming in the ocean and calling to his mother. In the end... You'll have to decide what you think actually happened.
This has been episode five, which I've called Her Eyes Held All the Morning of the Darkest Sea. This title, as I said at the start, is from a poem. It's a line from the 2006 poem called The Selkie's Wife's Daughter. The poem was written by Janine Hall Gailey. You can find that and all of the references from this episode on the podcast page. There are also chapter titles for the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for sharing this really wonderful story with me, one of my all-time favorites. It's a very personal story for me, and I've really appreciated that you came here to hear it. This has been Lost in the Rabbit Hole, The Dark Side of Folktales. Thank you so much for listening. In future episodes, I will explore many other dark, shadowy corners of some of our favorite tales. So please, if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing. You can also find Lost in the Rabbit Hole on Twitter, on Instagram, or you can visit my webpage at catkeefernewman.org, where I will have updates on all projects that I'm working on. I am Dr. Katherine Kiefer Newman, and this was Lost in the Rabbit Hole.